Well, good morning, Westside Family Church. How are we doing today? Good. Thank you so much. I love the enthusiasm today. As always, the more you talk back to me, the quicker I go. So it's so, so good to see you. As we begin this week, it's such a big week in the big capital C church. Today we're celebrating Palm Sunday, Jesus's triumphant entry into Jerusalem as he begins his journey to the cross to die on the cross for our sins. And then on Friday, we have Good Friday. And what's good about it is the fact that Jesus Christ died for us sinners. And so here at Westside, we're gonna have a unique experience, an experience like we've never had before called the Golgotha experience that's happening. And we wanna encourage you, whether you're at Speedway, whether you're in the South Sanctuary, or whether you're here in the North Sanctuary with us, to join us here in the North Sanctuary on Friday at 3.30, 5, or 6.30 p.m. It's gonna be a great experience where we just fix our mind on what Christ has done for us. And then on Saturday, we're gonna have a celebration. Because Jesus didn't stay in the grave, he came back to life, and that is worth celebrating, right, church? And so we wanna encourage you with one thing here. Yeah, you can clap if you wanna clap, it's okay, I promise you, I can, we can handle that this morning, get a little bit looser in here. But here's my encouragement for you. We have services on Saturday, we have services on Sunday, we want to encourage everyone who calls Westside home to attend one and to serve one. So basically, if you can attend a Saturday service, attend Saturday, because Saturday is cool, Saturday is smart, you get to sleep in on Sunday, or you could show up here at the A15 service, which is really great, because I'm pretty sure that's when Jesus came back to life. Um, so super exciting to weekend that we're gonna have. So it's gonna be an amazing week in the life of the big capital C church. So. Are you ready to jump into the word today? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, in the words of the great theologian, Smokey and the Bandit, we got a long way to go and a short time to get there, so let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, we are so thankful. We're so thankful, God, that we have an opportunity to come here today, that we can worship you openly. There's so many people in the world that don't have this opportunity, but we get the opportunity to worship you in spirit and truth. And so, Father, I just pray now that your presence would just overtake this place and overtake all of this moment. Without you, this is nothing. And so, Jesus, we just invite you to allow your word, not my word, but your word to fall on the soil of our hearts, that it may take seed in that soil and that you, your Holy Spirit, would grow it in us, Father, so that we may be complete, lacking nothing. And Jesus, I just pray at the end of this service today, we walk out with this mindset of how great is our Savior. And may we fix our eyes and our hearts and our attention on that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I need some participation, which requires you need to raise your hand if this is true at our Speedway campus online in our South Sanctuary or here this morning. And here's my question. Have you ever heard the phrase, there are two kinds of people? If you have, raise your hand. Okay, if you haven't, that's okay. Well, recently I came across a blog that is dedicated to proving the fact that there's two kinds of people, and they do it in a pretty funny way by creating different images. And so I wanna give you a few examples this morning. There are two kinds of people. There are people who set one alarm this morning to wake up, and then there are people like my wife who sets 
10 alarms to wake up in the morning, all right? Now, let, let's just be honest today because we're at church and you gotta be honest. How many of you are the people that would say, I gotta set more than one alarm? No judgment, no judgment, okay. okay. I love that wife raises the arm, right? She's like, yeah, that's you. Um, listen, I stopped setting alarm about 12 years ago because it is now my responsibility to wake up on my wife's first alarm and then to wake her up on her fourth alarm so that we can do it. So um, just, just being honest in here. So I haven't set an alarm in forever. There are two kinds of people. There are people who have this many notifications on their phone. Woo, that's a lot of notifications. Hey, and if this is you, let me just go ahead and say this. I don't know how you sleep at night. And then there's these people that you came in this morning and before you came in, you're like, I have notifications I need to answer because I can't pay attention to the message as long as I got notifications, all right? So there's two kinds of people. There are people whose toilet paper has bangs. It goes over top, yes. right? All right, like, and, and listen, there's some of us that are about, I'm about to say you're gonna be like, oh, he's a heretic. All right, and then there's people that like their toilet paper to have a mullet. <laughs> Business in the front, party in the back. All right, like, let's do a poll real quick. All right, how many of you would say that, hey, listen, my, my toilet paper has bangs right now? All right, you need to cut your bangs and get a mullet, all right? Like, this is where we need to get at today. Listen, that's not my rules. I'm just being good husband and everything like that. All right, let's, let's do one more. There are two kinds of people. There are people that drove here and your gas light is on. And you said, I can drive 10 more miles, why? Because I know my car. And then there's some of you who drove here and you didn't really need gas. But you said, I better get gas now. I better get gas now. There, there are two kinds of people. In fact, one comedian once said, there are two kinds of people in the world, good and bad. The good sleep better and the bad tend to enjoy the waking hours much more. There are good people and there's bad people. And isn't this really how we view people in our world? Like, like think about it for just a second because some of us, we determine whether someone is good or bad based off of if they cheer for the Jayhawks or the Wildcats. There are some of us that, that we determine whether someone is good or bad based off of the political party that they affiliate with. There are some of us that we even grew up or maybe we're growing up with right now and our parents say, you can't hang out with those people because oh, they're not so good. They're, they're bad people. Or maybe you go to certain places because you believe that when you go to those places like church, it makes you good. But here's the question that I really wanna wrestle with today. How does God view us? And the reason why I wanna answer that question is because there's so many times that maybe some of us, we've grown up in church and we thought, hey, listen, God views us through this good and bad lens. Maybe you were even told that by a church and they said, hey, as long as you follow this set of rules, then you're gonna be considered good. And if you don't burn your rock and roll records, you're gonna burn in the bad place where all the bad people go. There are good people and bad people. So how does God view us? In other words, is God looking at us today and determining whether we're good or bad based off of how we live our lives and saying, hey, as long as you live in a good way and the good outweighs the bad, then you're gonna be considered good. Or hey, if the bad outweighs the good, then ah, 
Depart from me, you never knew me. Is God like this cosmic Santa in the sky that's making a list? He's checking it twice, gonna find out who's naughty or nice. How does God view us? Well, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus answers this question. And when he answers this question for the very first time, it was a shocking revelation to the people because they all assumed that God viewed them through a good lens and a a bad lens. And so Jesus, one day, he tells this story to a group of people who are content in their relationship with Jesus. In other words, they have become content in their relationship with Jesus because they were depending on what they did or they didn't do to say, I'm right with God and I'm right before man. And so Jesus says, hold on, you, you, you got it wrong. And he tells us this story in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 10, Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray. Now let, let's pause for just a second because there's some significance in what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says two men went up to where? The temple. Now the temple is extremely important, but you're just gonna have to just put a a dot in it for a second because I'm gonna explain a little bit later why that's so significant. But for now, Jesus is talking about two men that went up to pray, and where did they go to pray? The temple, okay, the temple. That's the most important part of this. So they go up to the temple to pray. Now, when we hear the word pray, we automatically assume that Jesus is talking about something private. Like they may have went to church and they went to a room and they began to pray. However, during this time, the, the people use the word prayer to mean they're doing exactly what we're doing today. They came to worship God in the temple. They came to open up the word. They came to pray. They came to make sacrifice, atonement for their sin. And so Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, to which everyone in the crowd that's hearing this story for the very first time is saying, oh, okay, Jesus, this is the good versus the bad. The good being the, the, the Pharisees because everyone grew up wanting to be a Pharisee. They, in fact, they traded the cards of the Pharisees. They didn't wanna play basketball. They didn't wanna play sports. They wanted to be a Pharisees. In fact, mothers used to pray to God every single night, God, please, if there's anything that you want for my kids, I want my kids to be a Pharisee. And God, please, whatever you do, don't let them become a tax collector because tax collectors were hated by everyone because they cheated and they stole. They were so hated by everyone that no one wanted to even associate with them. So when they heard this story for the very first time, they assumed that this was a story about good versus bad. But you know what they say about when you assume, right? Right, when you assume, you make a bad mistake. (laughs) And they made a bad mistake today. Because Jesus tells us this, he says in verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humbled 
themselves will be exalted. In other words, God does not view us in the way that we think he views us. In fact, God does not view us the way that we view each other. He doesn't look at us and say, hey, you're good or you're bad based off of what we do or what we don't do. God looks at us and he says, are you the type of person who exalts yourself and you will be humbled or are you the person who humbles themselves and will be exalted? In other words, what Jesus is talking about here today is simply this question for us. Are you walking in pride or are you walking in humility? And Jesus tells us and he sets the parameters for what it looks like for us to walk in pride and walk in humility. We walk in pride when we focus only on ourselves. And when we focus only on ourselves, what ends up happening is is that we end up comparing ourselves to other people. And this is what the tax collector is guilty of. If we look back at verse 11, Jesus tells us that the Pharisee stood by himself. And he's kind of like the guy that's sitting in the very, 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 very back. He's like, I don't want anything to do with all those sinners down there or like around us. He stands by himself and he prays, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. He compares himself to other people. And I think it's so easy for us to kind of hear this and be like, man, how dare you? Like, it's so easy for us to look at this Pharisee and think, I the nerves of this guy to actually pray a prayer where he's saying, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like them. It's so easy for us to point the finger and just kind of be like, man, I'm holier than you. But here's the reality about every single one of us in this room, including myself, we've all been that Pharisee before. Now, I'm gonna give it to us this morning that we probably have never prayed a prayer out loud in church about the person sitting next to us or the person in front of us. We probably not begin to compare ourselves in that way. But let's just be honest, we've all had those things pop up in our mind, right? May not be, oh God, you know, I know I lied to my wife, but at least I'm not like Bill who's cheating on his wife. Oh God, I, I know I participated in the gossip, but didn't you see that I posted my Bible reading plan today instead of posting the picture at the party? God, I know, I know I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not like those people who all they do is push their agenda on us. So we're all guilty of this thing called pride. We all have been in this moment where we've at least thought that. And we point the finger at people. We compare ourselves to other people. And when we begin to compare ourselves to other people, what ends up happening is we begin to believe that what we do or what we don't do is the thing that makes us right with God. In other words, we begin to elevate ourselves to a place where we can look down on people and we can actually push them down and they look up at us. Like when I was in the eighth grade, my my parents, they set me down and they said, hey, just kind of question, what do you think you wanna be when you grow up? I was like, I don't know. And and we were having a good conversation and they were like, okay, you don't really have to know yet, but we'd encourage you to think about it, dream a little bit. That's one of the things that my parents did really well. They, They encouraged me to dream. And so they said, hey, here's one question we want you to answer. What are you passionate about? And of course, at that time, I'm the eighth grader. I was like, I don't know. Like, I didn't know anything at the time. 
And so they're like, well, go off and like think about what are you passionate about? So one day I kind of got away and I determined that I was passionate about two things. I was passionate about girls and basketball. And so you, you can guess what I chose, basketball, right? Like I chose to, to set everything that I was gonna do on basketball and everything in my life centered around the game of basketball. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to elevate myself to a place where I retired from either coaching or playing in the NBA and, and people looked up at me and I looked down on them. It, it looked a lot like this. My dreams looked like me climbing this ladder, and, and I actually am gonna stop here because I'm terrified of heights. <laughs> but I wanted to reach a level in my dream, again, where I could look down on you, and you were forced to look up at me. Now, see, it's, it's one thing when we do this with a dream or even our career. Like, this is the world we live in. Like, you, you can climb the ladder. But here's the problem. There have been too many times in my following of Jesus that I've climbed a spiritual ladder, where I've looked down on people. Oh, you, you read the Bible? That's, and I'm like, oh, that's great, but I couldn't celebrate them. And the reason why I couldn't celebrate them is because, man, I had read through the Bible. Get on my level. Oh, we saw so many baptisms. Oh, we'll really see if they're following Jesus. And, and what happened in following Jesus is for a very long time in my life, I was climbing up this spiritual ladder so that I could look down on people. I didn't say it out loud because no one says it out loud, but I could look down on you because you would never be where I'm at on my spiritual journey. And I began to push people down. Here's what I know about all of us in this room today. I'm not alone. And we can buy into the reality that what makes us right with God, what, what doesn't make us right with God are the things that we do or don't do. So as long as I read the Bible, as long as I don't only say Christian cuss words, as long as I serve in kids ministry or as a deacon, I can get to a place spiritually where I can assume that I am right with God based off of what I have done. Here's the problem with this when it comes to righteousness. The only righteousness that we have is what we have received, not what we have achieved. In fact, let me take it a step further. Here's, here's what the gospel isn't about. The gospel isn't about you and I climbing up some ladder to have a right relationship with God. The gospel is all about Jesus, the king of the universe, who started, if there was a ladder, at the top of the ladder, and he lowered himself and came down the ladder and lived among us, and he died for us. This is what the gospel is about. So we can live in pride or we can walk in humility this morning. And this is what the tax collector does. In fact, we walk in humility when we focus on the sacrifice. Jesus tells us about the Pharisee, but then he goes on and says, but the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me. A sinner. He couldn't look up. And he couldn't look up because he knew what he had done to people. 
He knew how he lied. He saw the faces of the people as he stole money from them. He was filled with shame and regret, and he could not lift his head up. The only thing that he could do in that moment was to look out in the temple. And this is why the temple is so important, because in the temple that day, what they were doing is is they were making sacrifices with a spotless, perfect lamb. So he couldn't look up, but he could look at the sacrifices being made. And he could say this beautiful prayer of humility. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In other words, God, I know what I've done. And I know that I've sinned. I know that, that the, the, the sin that I've committed has a cost and I can't pay the cost. So as I'm looking at these sacrifices being made, would you allow what I deserve to be put onto that sacrifice so that I could be free? I cannot pay the payment. God, pay the payment for me. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And this is what Jesus says about him. He says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other went home justified before God and everyone in the crowd was shocked because they believed that it was gonna be the Pharisee that walked away with joy and right before God. But Jesus says, hold on a second. It isn't the Pharisee, it's this tax collector who looked at the sacrifice and asked the sacrifice to have mercy on him and the sacrifice looked back at him and said, there's only grace left for you. And he was justified. And it was just as if he had never stolen and it was just as if he had always been generous. It was just as if He'd always obeyed and just as if he had never disobeyed. It was just as if he had never lied and it was just as if he'd always told the truth. He was justified just as if I'd never sinned. He was made right with God. Why? Because he walked in humility. Church, we are called not to walk in pride, as easy as it is for us to walk in pride, but to walk in humility. How do we walk in humility? We have to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because when I'm focused on Jesus, I can't focus on myself or other people. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He took on our shame. He took on our sin. We need to look to Jesus today and to allow our hearts and our minds to be stirred for what Jesus Christ has done. Because he is the one who has made us right with God. He made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How do we get right with God? It isn't by what we do or what we don't do. We get right with God by fixing our eyes on Jesus and getting to a place where we say, have mercy on me, God, a sinner. This is what Paul would say. This is a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance that Christ came and died for sinners of which I am the worst. 
And that's good news for some of us today because we walked into this place and let me just be honest with you, you're not right with God. I know that's bad news. And you're not right with God, not because you're not trying to be right with God. You're showing up to church, you're reading the Bible, you're trying to do all of these good things. But you see, the problem with sin is that sin doesn't make us bad, sin makes us dead. And I don't know about you, but like if I just passed out and I died right here, the only hope that I have of being made back to life is for someone to step up and bring me back to life. The same thing is true of the gospel. The only way for you to be brought back from death to life spiritually is for Jesus to step in and pay the penalty that you cannot pay and for you to receive what he has for you. And when you do, you are made from death to life. And this is some good news for you this morning. This is how we're made right with God. It isn't by what we do or what we don't do. So there's some of you, you're not right with God, but you can walk out of here right with God. And all you have to do is stand there and humble yourself and say this simple prayer, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he'll look at you and he'll say, she, she is right with me. He, he is right with me, but you have to fix your eyes on Jesus. Still, I wanna talk to people in here today. You have a relationship with Jesus. And at one point you were the tax collector in this story. But let me tell you one of the dangers of following Jesus is that it's so simple for us to go from the tax collector to the Pharisee. And you find yourself trying to do all of these things because, hey, listen, I'm saved. I got my ticket to heaven. Jesus is your savior, and I'm so glad he's your savior. But he doesn't just want to be your savior. He also wants to be your Lord. You see, Jesus being your savior gets you into heaven. Jesus being your Lord gets heaven in you. And Jesus didn't save you so that your life could just be a little bit better. Jesus saved you so that you could become more like him, and you're not desperate for him anymore. You're content in your relationship with Jesus. Oh, friends, we can never get to a place where we outrun our need for the gospel. You want to have a better marriage? Go to the gospel. Run to Jesus. You want to have a better worship experience? Run to Jesus. You want to have a better relationship with your kids? Run to Jesus. Get into the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself over and over again. Why? Because when we preach the gospel to ourselves, we cannot walk in pride. We can only walk in humility because who are we that he would be mindful of us? This is the good news for some of us this morning. My prayer and my heart for us is that we in this place and online in our Speedway campus, we would get desperate for Jesus again. That we would get so to a place where our hearts and our minds are stirred for Jesus. How do we get there? We get there by fixing our eyes on him. We get there by not trying to fix other people. We get there by saying, God, I I can't even fix myself. I need you. So we put our minds on Jesus. So whether you're here today and you need to come into a relationship with Jesus 
or you're here today and maybe you just find yourself in a place where you're just honest, man, I'm, I'm complacent. I, I'm, I'm trusting in my own self still. Here's my challenge for all of us today is that we would fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because I can think of nothing better for us to do. As we enter into this week called Holy Week, where we fix our minds on the cross and we fix our minds on Jesus' death, his burial and resurrection. So I want us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because there's two kinds of people. There are people who walk in humility and God is the lifter of your head and he will exalt you. And then there's those of us who are walking in pride and we will be humbled. But here's my question for you this morning. Which kind of person do you wanna be? My hope is what my hope is for myself. As I've searched my heart this week, is that we would have a group of people that would say, I wanna walk in humility, but the only way I can walk in humility is by focusing on Jesus. And as we, in a moment, are about to stand up and sing some, some songs to Jesus, what is worship? Worship is all about us not focusing on ourselves, but having humility to focus on Jesus. So would you walk in humility with me this week? Let's pray. Father, I think of what the psalmist said. Who are we that you are mindful of us? That when we consider the stars in the sky, the works of your fingers, when we consider all of these different things, who are we that you would step in from eternity into our life and that you take and pay for what we couldn't pay. Oh God, I pray that right now that our hearts, if we have an area of pride that, that we're, we're living in, God, that we may be able to say, hold on. I'm not focusing on that. I'm gonna focus my mind on Jesus. God, I pray for the one right now, Jesus, that just doesn't believe that they're good enough that you could save them. Lord, I pray that their hearts right now would hear this message that you love them and that you want a relationship with them. And that they could walk out of this place right with you. Jesus, we thank you, we praise you, and we give the rest of this time to you. It's in your name we pray, amen. Would you stand and sing with me?